This episode is brought to you by the final season of Game of Thrones on HBO. LA Times calls the series TV's greatest show of all time. For your Emmy consideration in outstanding drama series and all other categories. Who doesn't know the theme to The Twilight Zone by heart? On today's crew call, we're joined by composers Marco Beltrami and Brandon Roberts, who are taking the score to the CBS All Access series to a new dimension. In particular, we discuss the Simon Kinberg-directed episode Blurry Man, which revolves around Sophie Gelson, a writer on The Twilight Zone who is stalked by a mysterious figure. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Let's start with Jerry Goldsmith. Okay. Who who was your mentor? Yes. Back in college, and he did some music. Right? I he he did some music on the original Twilight Zone. Was it stock? Was it? Oh, um, yeah. I don't know which episodes he did. Do you have it to know? I don't know the the actual episodes, but he scored like several episodes. It yeah, was, maybe even seasons. Because I was just trying to see if there was any kind of connection there one one thing that i noticed is that there's a wonderful callback to to the, that um, spirit of the original the score. spirit of the original which yeah. is just really beautiful yeah that's something you know when when brandon and i um took the show it was some it was the first conversation we had like how are we going to do this why are we going to do this why are you, why are they doing it and how how are we going to achieve that and and uh we thought that the um that we should at least reference the spirit of the scores, which we did in a variety of ways that we can talk about. But that was one of the original concepts that we had. Rearranging the th- the main theme. Yeah. Well, not really. I mean, pretty, no? it's pretty. It's pretty. You know, note for note, they're the main theme. I mean, we we added a few things. We did added a few instruments that um, weren't on the original thing. Updated it a little bit, but it's pretty much the original theme. Tell me about what you added. Because it's it, it really gives it. We some added zing. Um, an instrument that they could have had at the time, a B three organ. Uh, we added some of that. Uh, we added an instrument called the harmonic guitar, which is, I think you've seen when you came up to. Um, we in, we created it for the, the homesman. Remember the yeah. It was like Buckhead out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, yeah, so we have to get our money's worth in that. We use it on everything we do. But um, the um, uh, what other instruments did we? So we added uh, baritone guitar, which I don't think was on the original. But then we added, um, we also added some synthesized elements too. So we took some sounds and actually electronically manipulated them, which they didn't do back then. So um, Brandon's voice sounds extra sexy today. Yeah, it's yeah, so my Barry, then my Barry White voice. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, please excuse it. <laughs> yes. So, um, but but. Um, Let's see what else. Um, we did add strings on it in a way that wasn't used before, and we processed them a little bit. But um, Marco's right; it basically was a note-for-note reproduction of it, and then just just enhancing upgrade. a few things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Some sounds. Now, tell me about your your collaboration together. How long you've worked with Marco? You know, co-composing on this. Tell tell yeah. me. We've worked together. What, what was it? 10 years, man. 10 years, Jesus. Yeah. Well, um, we're basically married. Yeah, I mean. Or at least mistress. It, <laughs> it's, it's easier, I'll tell you that. Um, the, um, yeah, so uh, we've worked together a lot 
in the past. And uh, some things uh, we've done as co-scorers, we've done some TV shows together. We did a show called um, Turn. We did a show called um, V. 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 That was actually the first thing yeah. I worked with him on. That was, that was the first thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a then, long time ago. And then that led right to Scream 4 and Die Hard 5? Five. 5, right? Yeah. Um, so so I, yeah, I, I jumped into the deep end of the pool with him pretty quick. But so. even things that, I, um, that he's not credited as co-composer on, like a main title credit, like on this... Uh, if you look in the in the back, often it says additional music by Brandon. So he's contributed to a lot of projects. Um, you know, most recently Quiet Place and Free Solo. So um so yeah, we've had a long term uh composing relationship. The composing, <laughs> strictly composing <laughs> relationship. And, um and and you know, it's about time that um Brandon, you know, is he has to get his own notoriety here because, I mean, he's an amazing composer. I feel like he's kicking me out of the nest, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> How was the assembly line for this? Like, was there more breathing room than a regular TV show because it was it was streaming? Was there was instead of like cranking out score on a week and a half basis, was it more two and a half weeks? No, I mean, or... it started off more leisurely, but it was pretty pretty much a regular show right totally yeah they they all seem to start the same way you 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 look at it looks like you have this great time buffer and then all of a sudden by episode seven eight and nine you're like wait what what happened to the the two weeks now the two weeks become one week and by the last episode you you know you're you're cranking through but um one thing that the executive producers did that was smart on this one is they got us started on the finale early yeah which helped considerably um because that was that was a much more involved endeavor than all the other other episodes. That being Blurry Man, exactly, yeah. and that one too, uh, which was which was nice. Which maybe is a little different from other shows. Is they gave us a little bit of a bigger budget, so we could hire some, you know, a, a small orchestra to play. It sounds amazing. I mean, you know, when in the bookcase scenes and when things are flying off the bar and she's running. I mean, it's just. It's it's Bernard. Her it's wonderful. Like well, I mean, that was, it, you talk about um, sort of harkening back to the older scores. I mean, that that whole episode was sort of an homage to the original Twilight Zones, both in the, in the, in the music and the show itself. And so that was something that um, was very conscious of what was asked of us even. Even even the ensemble size, we asked for you know, like a similar ensemble size as what what Jerry would have used, or so it was, um, or Bernard Herman would have used. So it was it was it was also kind of great to have those same restrictions uh, to try to find creative ways to make something sound big. But then 
but also made it glaringly apparent how brilliant those guys were too. You know, like every week they were churning out something amazing. So, is is there a rule of thumb with with horror scores? Obviously, you play music; it's an indication that something's around the corner. But when you go quiet, what is that a sign of? Is that like how how do you pace? That, is means, there, that means they ran out of money and there's no they, more, you know. It's there's just, no, it's a there's no budget. This budget ran out. Yes. There's no yeah. genius of the suspense. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're never in a situation where you're like, okay, I think we need to use music here and we don't need to music, use music here. You know, when I first started working for, for Wes, I think I've told you this before, Scream was the first scary movie I'd ever seen because mm -hmm. I hate horror movies. But um, the, uh, so my instinct was something scary some big jump something's going to happen to build the suspense and all that west was like no he says no what you want to do is build up the suspense and then you go if you go quiet before that it actually makes people more on edge because they're not sure what what's happening and um that's you know so something i'm aware of now using silence as part of the score part of the 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 um process um it's not just dead space but it's actually integrated into the actual fabric of the of the concept so that's i think something that yeah and i, I do think being conscious of sound effects and how they're going to play into everything um sometimes it's a pick your battles concept so you say okay well this actually should be a sound effects moment this stabbing or this this uh in the case of like the books you're not going to compete against the sound of a library exploding uh, in in the blurry man episode so sometimes it's best to just kind of pick your battles. What frequencies aren't being used? Where should we come in? And should we wait, let the big sound effects explosion happen, and then we come in afterwards? And I find that and this is something I've learned a lot. And some of these are decisions that you talk about at a spotting session. Oh, yeah. The books are flying off there. Who, what, what, how's, how are we going to handle that? Is that, is that going to be a music moment or are we going to, that's going to be a sound moment? Things like that. Th those are the important things. That's why you have spotting sessions. And then occasionally have the moment no one wants to touch. So I think yeah. that's a sound thing. And sound saying, I think that's a score thing. But it, overall, I think, I think that the sound department seems to be appreciative when we're conscious of the stuff that kind of is in their ballpark as opposed to just pounding people over the head with score. And I think times have changed a little bit, maybe in the last seven years or so, where where movies and especially television, they don't want you to be pounding them over the head with score. It's a little too on the nose. Whereas if you go back a little past that, it was it was much more full and all the time. So now, and now there's the melting of sound and score. Yeah, okay. like in Baby Driver. Yeah, and I'm sure you you guys have done it a million times as as well. Where you know just the metallic of a the score and the metallic of the sound kind of blend together or or segue yeah yeah i mean that's definitely the first movie i really became conscious and aware and um i think we always used to treat the sound as you know our nemesis but sort of working together was on the hurt locker because it it was almost had this quasi documentary like feel and and, and combining the music what sound what's music having that that blurry distinction between the two um that's where me and buck um, Sanders first really started thinking seriously about that. But now it's like every, everything we do, it's something we think about. Do you actually, one thing I was in, I remember Buck mentioned this one time. Do you write with, when you're writing, will you write with the dialogue on? We'll definitely check what we're doing against what, what's going on. Yeah. yeah I'm finding 
maybe more and more I'm doing that where, where it's all, yeah. I have the dialogue or sound on al almost through the, even the writing process. Yeah. Um, and it's, it really does shape the composition um, quite a bit. What is Jordan's approach to mu like to music? What, because what's interesting is the show really, he really turns it on its head. It's wonderful. Like, especially in blurry man, he begins, you think it's all about Seth Rogen and this writer that's made this apocalyptic vision outside, and it's not. And I love how he begins, Jordan will begin, like he's narrating and then break, and then it becomes someone else's story. Um, was that, what was his, what was his approach toward music? What were some of the conversations? Well, you know, Jordan was, uh, you know, producing this thing, executive producing, but on, on a daily basis, we didn't really deal with him directly. The, we spoke with the director of the show, Simon, um, who was giving us his feedback, but, and I'm sure it was in sync with what Jordan, they probably had the bigger, the bigger uh, architectural talk about what the show was. Um, uh, but we were dealing more directly with Simon. Yeah, and there was a lot of, I think right from the get-go on that, like the spotting session we had with, with Simon, you could tell he he loved music. It's the same, I think that's the same thing with Jordan too. They just love music. So, and they, they're not scared of using it. So when we went big in the episode or when we went emotional or, or even when we went to the black and light, white sequence and we went full on Bernard Herrmann, that was encouraged. That wasn't something they were, they were worried about or scared about. And so um, most of the times that we thought maybe we're pushing the envelope, we got notes back that were complimentary. So I think, I, I think that was my take from it. Was they, they seemed to really, really feel like the music was only going to help. Um, uh, and encourage us to go all the way with it. So, relatively speaking, and not naming other shows, what because this was streaming and because it's so premium looking, did you have a bit more budget for music than a regular series, or was it on par with similar? It was, yeah. I mean, it's the same as as most shows, yeah, that we've done. This episode is brought to you by the final season of Game of Thrones on HBO. LA Times calls the series TV's greatest show of all time for your Emmy consideration in Outstanding Drama Series and all other categories. As far as the, um, what other moments did you love throughout the series as far as scoring? Because this is a very fun episode. Yeah. It's a chase, it's a chase scene and... Uh, I, you know, the thing that was really cool and unique about this show is that, is that every show is different. And, and um, there was a, a common commonality between uh, there's a point in every show where the characters go into the twilight zone and so we had something for that but other than that um every show has its own universe and and like the the first one that aired that uh brandon did this jazz score for um which you know in the it was called the comedian and um takes place in a like a most of it in a stand-up lounge um but that's a completely different world from the one with the um you know they're taking the spaceship or they or, right. the, or the, the 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 um the child president or you know everyone has his own theme and unlike many other 
series where you sort of establish a voice and you have themes and you just develop it as the series goes on. This was one of the, the, the challenges, but it was also, um, you know, it made it difficult, but it was also one of the, the uh, refreshing things about it was that every show is, is unique. Yeah. And we really, we really tried consciously to pick like every episode to pick a, an instrument or a, a thing we wanted to exploit and, and thought would be the identity of that, in, of that episode. So we had uh, a whistling episode, for example, we had a um, episode where we really exploited the cello. We had another one where we, and, and this doesn't, this doesn't just mean traditional ways of playing the cello or traditional whistling. We also did a lot of process things. And I think that was fun because, you know, one of us would call each other and say, Hey, what about if we use, what about if we use heavy metal on the, on the, um, on the, um, uh, the asteroid men episode. And there was, you know, including, including heavy metal, like throat singing. Yeah. All right, let's try it. So it was, uh, it was, it was cool. And we got a lot of support from, from all the executive producers. So it was, it's hard to pick a favorite. Um, yeah. cause they were also different. So one instrument I heard, um, and it would always come in in a very interesting time. And if you could expound on this in Blurry Man was the soft flute. Yeah, the alto flute. Yeah, yeah that would come in. Tell me about that. We, it was used in, in I want to say, I remember distinctly twice. Um, and it was used, it was an, it, it's, even though it's soft and you've got your brass that are doing, doing, doing some heavy lifting, it, it, it was powerful. Yeah, we tried, we needed something to, to kind of offset the, the horror elements and to try to look, try to bring you into her character and her moments and like her flashbacks to her youth, et cetera, and, and make you feel something more for her. And it's such a beautiful instrument. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, and, and Chris Blath played it, you know, to the T. So it was, it was, can't really go wrong. Um, it's such a, it's such kind of like a breathy, soft instrument that it, it has that. It has a good counterpoint to the other things yeah. that were going on in the it's show. It's great. It was fantastic. What else, what else in Blurry Man was another instrument that, because you were saying you were bringing in different. So one of the things in Blurry Man was, a, was actually a, an orchestrational concept. And this is something we, we talked to Simon uh, early on, even at the spotting session. So the, we, we thought it would be a cool idea to try to, duplicate the effect of of the figure being blurred using the strings and so what we did is we we had the strings figure situa- being like the theme the twilight zone theme you know the, the iconic mm-hmm. twilight zone theme right so we took we took the like marco's saying we took the the four notes that make up the do 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 and then we said well what happens if we pan the, we have the strings panned around the conductor and then we have them basically play them almost like like chattering birds and then move across the stereo spectrum so when you and whenever you see the blurry mariners referenced you'll hear this this thing that just kind of goes across like that and it actually is the four notes that make up that theme played very eerily and and all completely out of time and completely random but then also moving across the stereo spectrum and so we asked simon it's like so what do you think and he's like i love that idea so um it's one of those times where the the nerdy composer geeky games that we play actually pays off yeah yeah somebody saying oh that's a great idea yeah so 
yeah and then and then you tell somebody else and you're like well you know whatever but yeah um but yeah it was it, it worked that was the other thing we didn't 100 you never 100 know if these are going to work as well as you hope but they're concepts you know they're concepts but, yeah. but it's as abstract concepts it's fun to play around and try them and sometimes it works out and the thing i've learned from marco actually over the years is go with your gut and and then nine times out of 10, the concept will work. And then every once in a while, we'll, we'll try something and Marco will look at, you know, and he'll just kind of shrug his shoulder. Eh, well, we tried. But but I, I think working with Marco has taught me that you always pick an, a solid identifiable idea for each project. And um, and generally, I think it's your first instincts. Like you generally seem to come up quickly with your your idea. Yeah, like, well, yeah, I mean, you watch you watch something and it resonates with you somehow. And, and I find you don't want to overthink that. You want to let it sink in and, and you have a response to it, what your emotional response is. Because if you if you start intellectualizing things too much right off the bat, sometimes you can lose sight of what the, the essence of it is. And if you're able to capture that essence and somehow make that into some sort of a musical idea, then it's, um, I, I, I think that's part of the fun of what we do it's sort of like problem solving it's like taking a puzzle and figuring out what what's the you know what's the what's the seed that's going to blossom into the, the, the tree let's talk about free solo um tell me tell me about boarding that and then um about what it free solo yeah the the national geographic yeah. uh documentary tell me about coming to that project mm -hmm. and what spoke to i mean obviously he's he's a daredevil but what, you know, what spoke to you and, and is there a difference when you're painting music to a documentary or to a regular feature film? Or is it the same I, thing? You're, you're just you're hitting dramatic beats. Yeah, well, I will. So first of all, I came to it. They, um, uh, it was mentioned to me, I don't know by who, maybe the music supervisor or somebody that they were interested um, in in meeting me um about this this film so uh i asked him to send it and when I, as soon as i saw it i was blown away it was it was a little different from what you have now because they did quite a bit of work the story on the story over the course of a year uh that i worked on it but um it was so amazing and i was such a fan of miru which was uh, jimmy chin's last movie from a couple of years before that that i i you know, it was like a personal goal to, to meet him. And uh, so I was so excited and just to hear about the process and what he's thinking about and when he's making the movies and when he's climbing and just the whole, to me, it's just, uh, you know, another way that the, the looking at how the mind works, you know, it's incredible. So um, when I uh, started working on it, the, the, the thing that struck me, like you said, what he does is incredibly dangerous, but, and it's true. Um, what, what he does is, um, can potentially kill him very easily. It's killed pretty much everybody else that's done this. But on the other hand, it's also the thing that gives him life. Uh, it's almost like this yin yang principle, like that, which can potentially kill him is also the thing that gives him total freedom and um, uh, vitality. And so musically, again, that was my concept musically, like how do you represent that and that duality? 
And um, so the way we did it was having just very simply two alternating chords, like a low minor chord, which is sort of the, represents the darker side of what he's doing, and then like a higher major chord and alternating very simply, just alternating those chords. And that became the, the, um, the, the crux of the score. And, you know, from that, there are other themes. There's like a theme for nature, a theme for uh, his girlfriend in the movie. Um, but um, those are the elements. And, and then in terms of your the last question you asked, um, working on a documentary is what we do, film scoring, it's, it's, it's the same process. Um, yeah, I mean, there might be more voiceover things going on that you have to be aware of, more vamping, more like sort of um, just keeping the motion going under vocal things that are happening. But, um, but the process of um, providing the emotional undercurrent to a visual thing is the same as any other project, I think. So I think that was all your questions. Um, uh, can you tell us anything about uh, Ford versus Ferrari? Um, is it still too early? It's the most awesome movie I've ever worked on. <laughs> it's like, it's just, I, um, I, it's like a dream project. And it's, I, there's everything about it is great. Like, there's nothing that the music needed to fix. There's nothing that, you know, I, I just think it's a perfect movie. Wow. Wow. I have to, you have to say, say one anecdote about this, which is um, Marco and I were flying somewhere to, uh, I think we we're flying to London to, to score something. This was a couple of years ago. So Marco's sitting away from me and then he, but, and of course he, he, I don't know if you know this, he never sleeps. So he's just sitting up, everybody else is asleep. So he walks over and says, are you asleep? I'm like, no, not now. And so um, he, he says, man, you got to check out this documentary. Um, uh, cause we both are into cars. And so he's like, it's, uh, on, um, Ford trying to, uh, trying to come up with a car to compete with Ferrari. So, all right, I'll check it out. So I finished the documentary and I turned and he's like, it's good, huh? You know, get the thumbs up. I'm like, yeah. And then flash forward, but like, like six months later, he's like, he, he says, yeah, I, I just found out Mangold's doing a film about Ford versus Ferrari. Is, are you joking? I mean, that's the, yeah, it was, it was it's so, so fortuitous that it's almost curious but yeah. It, yeah he couldn't have gotten a, a cooler project for himself i mean that's yeah that's I, really cool i'm really i mean i i could stop composing now and be happy <laughs> excellent excellent thanks thanks